Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today's podcast is presented by EPRA, the European Public Real Estate Association. Facing global megatrends like green transition and aging population, how will listed real estate contribute to a sustainable future and financial security for Europe? Davos Confidential will get started after a short message from this week's sponsor. Today's episode is presented by Goldman Sachs. Today, sustainable finance is no longer on the sidelines, but increasingly core to a company's business. That's why Goldman Sachs is targeting $750 billion in sustainable finance growth themes by 2030. Learn more at gs.com slash sustainable finance. Coming to you from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, you're listening to Politico's Davos Confidential podcast. Welcome back to Davos Confidential, which comes to you today from the Media Center. I'm Rimum Taz, and with me is Florian Eder. Florian, we saw today Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission president, meet with uh, the American president, Donald Trump. Why did they meet today and why is it important that they met here? It's the first time that they met uh, in person. Uh, you remember that Ursula von der Leyen uh, has come into office only in, in early December, so it's uh, about uh, six weeks or so that she's in office. They agreed, uh, as the European side told us, that they would meet soon in, in Washington, so she will go there. Uh, soon, but it is of course um, you know important for the European Commission president to meet the American president, and this seems to be uh, seem to be a good forum for it here today. There was a bit of a problem with uh, access to journalists. What happened there? Well, I don't know. You would know as well as I do, but uh, it seems as if they were not the two sides were not on the same page actually on uh, the security uh, requirements for for the pool for uh, a table, as they say in Brussels. Um, there were obviously different assessments of what, of who said what and who answered when uh, and who had which requirements but uh, you know the truth is uh, that it, it was a no in the end so no European journalist could enter uh, this room which is of course not a very good look uh, but beyond that it's of course a sign of uh, you know, those people are not accustomed yet to each other I'd say. Yeah, that was the feeling that I got. So, uh, you know, I, w- I went there in order to, to, to be part of the European side of the pool. And lo and behold, American, uh, so basically Secret Service uh, security said we needed to have the names a week before, which seemed to surprise the commission people. And that is something that people have to kind of get used to, the White House process, uh, which means that, you know, for those who don't know, you have to send in the names uh, a week in advance. They have to run them through a system. And it was interesting because on the commission side, you know, the Europeans said, well, what do you mean? We're all here at the World Economic Forum. Everyone has been vetted before and everyone is searched, but you're welcome to search people again physically if you feel like that is, you know, a security issue. And of course, that didn't fly. So the White House uh, protocol stands and always trumps everything else, no matter whether it's in the U.S. or abroad. But, you know, if we can get back to the substance a bit of this of this meeting, Florian, you know, what did they talk about today? Was it about the trade war that seems to be constantly threatening U.S.-European relations lately? 
I mean, what we got from uh, the European side of things, they said that, yes, of course, they talked about, uh, you know, it was a get-together meeting, was the first personal meeting, so that's something per se, important per se. But, yes, uh, they talked uh, about transatlantic relationships in general, is what we were told, and, of course, uh, about opportunities and challenges ahead of, uh, of both partners in uh, trade as well as on technology, energy, and much more besides um, is uh, what the European readout says. So uh, I think... Uh, They probably did not, uh, you know, aggressively talk about things that divide the two sides, but of course uh, did not try to hide that there are things that uh, need to be discussed in the future. And standing outside uh, at the entrance for the meeting, I saw uh, European Commissioner uh, Thierry Breton walk in, and he's the one who's in charge of, obviously, the digital portfolio. Um, and as we know, there seemed to have been a truce kind of called between France and the U.S. on the digital tax issue. We'll see if that's going to hold. Uh, they seem to have called a truce until the end of the year to try to figure out if they can figure out a deal, a larger deal, that will also um, apply to Europe uh, at the OECD. So we're all waiting to see how that will end up um, And I think, if I may, we, can, we will see uh, more about that tomorrow when, when both the French finance minister is here and has already announced that he's going to talk to his American counterpart to, to make that deal, actually. So, but I think that Breton was in there was a, is, a, is a sign that this was on the agenda as well as Phil Hogan was there, since you asked before, the European Trade Commissioner was also in the meeting together uh, with von der Leyen. You know, which brings me actually to just remembering what uh, European Commission President uh, Ursula von der Leyen said yesterday in her opening speech, in which she said that Davos is the place where conflicts are averted, business is started and disputes are finished. So we'll see if actually her words will predict uh, a breakthrough in Davos because apparently that's what people come to do here. So let's turn now to the big headline news out of Davos today, which is obviously the return of the American president, Donald Trump. Uh, he delivered uh, sort of the, the, the keynote, I guess, um, uh, statement uh, here. And Stephen, you were in the room. So one, let's start with setting the scene. How was it? How was it getting in there? Did he get there so on time? It was interesting. Uh, people queued up for one and a half hours to get in, um, uh, and then he was uh, 20 minutes late, so it was quite a lot of grumbling. We um, enjoyed a uh, Swiss male choir um, in the meantime, which was delightful. Um, but there was a lot of expectation. People were really interested in what he had to say. And I think what it was was a. Uh, it started off with a massive pitch for you know the American electorate. It had nothing to do with the Davos crowd. It was all about blue-collar American workers and everything his administration has done for them economically. Today I'm proud to declare that the United States is in the midst of an economic boom, the likes of which the world has never seen before. But then he switched into this very deliberate message about the, um, the green uh, wave, yeah, and um, very much um, casting it as pessimists. In America, we understand what the pessimists refuse to see which is Greta Thunberg and company. And the profits of doom, was it? The profits of doom, which is really quite astonishing. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial profits of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. And comparing them to people in the past who have sort of um, uh, prophesied all sorts of um, hunger and all that kind of thing and saying it's not going to come true. And then the pessimists, i.e. him, and casting it also as sort of um, Luddites against technology, which is very, very interesting. Uh, it was interesting. He did talk about the, you know, the wish to, deserve, to preserve the planet, talking about it as God's planet and the beauty of the planet, that kind of thing, which is lyrical, um, but then cast it as um, us versus them, which is possibly not very constructive. We're committed to conserving the majesty of God's creation 
and the natural beauty of our world. I think there was another interesting bit was when he started talking about um, Notre Dame Cathedral burning down and all this kind of thing. I mean, what, what, what was that about? I was yeah. really taken back. How does that figure in it this was, speech? Uh, it was quite astonishing. Very, very, you know, um, rhetorical flight, very poetic. And at one point he said that the, you, the cathedrals of Europe are a monument to ambition. The cathedrals of Europe teach us to pursue big dreams, daring adventures and unbridled ambitions. They urge us to consider not it's extraordinary. only what we built. Um, so I think there was something in it for the, for the, Euro, you know, for the French, to so be does, honest. So does he yeah. want the Europeans to get back to building cathedrals? What? I think he's just saying is that, you know, once upon a time, Europe was incredibly ambitious and built these huge infrastructures. Um, and some of them were even very high tech. Um, they should get back to it again and maybe stop whinging about climate change. That seems to me what he was saying. And, you know, about Europe, it was really interesting to hear him say that his trade wars, which obviously have turned into some deals, whether it's with Canada or or Greenland, or, or Mexico. For him, it's the example for the 21st century. So I, I, I really wonder if that was any kind of uh, reassuring message on the European side. Uh, you know, I think it was more reassuring for the Chinese. So this message that he had, whereas you know, he and, he and uh, President Xi of China are in love, you know, uh, was extraordinary, apart from you know, one or two you know, um, trade differences which have lasted years. So it was very interesting. Yeah, but um, he was clearly you know, being warmer towards the Chinese um, than towards many people who have been his traditional allies. Um, but it was also it was quite a polite message for the Davos crowd. It has to be said. Uh, he stuck to script. Um, he was looking at his um, teleprompter all the time. Only once or twice did he um, improvise, um, and those moments were um, obviously very entertaining. And Florian, something happened during that speech in the room, right? Uh, somebody distributed kind of leaflets with fact sheets, uh, live fact checking or fact checking beforehand what uh, they had imagined Trump would say on the American economy and his posting about uh, all the numbers and how good they are and how good they were uh, and how good they have been since he took office, of course. Uh, and I ran into Joseph Stiglitz, the, uh, the Nobel Prize winner in economics, uh, an, e an economist. And uh, that was uh, regular. Um, and it turns out it was him, actually. It was him personally who uh, came up with the idea because he said he had anticipated what Trump would do. And so he came up with, you know, a two-pager where he c counted some of, uh, of Trump's uh, numbers by what, what he calls facts. Funny thing is that he uh, had all, you know, he had all the links to uh, statistics and to uh, media reports on uh, this paper. And the problem is that it was on paper, so you can't just not click on it. And so what was uh, Stiglitz's uh, verdict? It seemed almost as if Trump would run uh, for a Swiss president, <laughs> if you judge by the people in the room or the setting. And actually, if we can end on this, yesterday we were talking about how polite a crowd Davos people are. Were they polite today? How was, how was the reception? Did they clap politely at the end? Oh yes, absolutely. It was totally. Yeah, they were. They were quite an enthusiastic crowd, to be honest. I mean, uh, I think there were an awful lot of people in there who were um, CEOs and people like that, and they'd gone to listen to Trump. They hadn't gone to heckle him at all. So there was, as far as I could hear, not a whisper of heckling. I mean, isn't that astonishing? Because the whole theme about Davos today and this week is sustainability, climate change, and making sure that we get back to, uh, you know, open trade and no trade wars. And he basically came out and gave a speech that went really just against it head on. So it's just interesting to see how that dissonance can exist in Davos. And it, to me, it seems to be sort of a theme where in Davos, anything can sort of coexist. Isn't it also this idea that expectations about Trump are not that he's, you know, as long as he doesn't come out and say anything offensive or downright confrontational, um, then it's a good day. And I think in those terms, you could say it was a good day. 
On the other hand, to be fair, you know, I uh, overheard uh, the Germany's Green Party leader, Robert Habeck, talking to somebody else about Trump's speech and say it was just a catastrophe. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> and we're going to leave it at that. Thank you so much, Florian, and thank you, Stephen. And stay tuned after this message from our sponsor for interviews that Ryan and Christina picked up throughout the day on Tuesday. A message from Goldman Sachs. Today, sustainable finance is no longer on the sidelines, but increasingly core to a company's business. Goldman Sachs is focused on the dual themes of climate transition and inclusive growth to help its clients across all sectors navigate the transition to an inclusive, low-carbon economy. So what is inclusive growth? It entails supporting sustainable communities and drawing on innovative investing partnerships to provide more access and opportunity. And climate transition? It's when industries adapt their business model in response to a low-carbon economy. Goldman Sachs is committed to helping their clients position themselves for a future in which sustainability is core to all industries and integrated across markets. They will achieve this vision by doing what they do best, invest, finance, advise, and innovate to drive sustainable finance strategies that accelerate positive change. That's why Goldman Sachs is targeting $750 billion from nine sustainable finance growth areas by 2030. What are they? Learn more at gs.com sustainablefinance. I'm Ryan Heath, and coming up in this episode is a series of interviews we squeezed into a very busy day on the first full day of the World Economic Forum program up here in Davos. This interview is with Ilham Kadri, the CEO of Solvay. We caught up with her as she was arriving late at the World Economic Forum. She had traffic problems. That is a very common thing here in Davos. And we kind of did this interview walking all the way to an outdoor studio for CNBC. So the crowds kind of parted ways like the Red Sea so that we could hear all about Solvay's new purpose. I'm walking now through the Congress Center halls with Ilham Kadri, who is the new CEO of Solvay, one of the very big Belgian companies. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm excited to talk to you because you've got a new purpose for Solvay. You're yeah. really reorienting and completely changing the company. Yeah. And it's got a green focus, which means it's very well matched to the Davos WEF this week. Indeed. Tell us. What are you changing about the company? Well, listen, uh, this company is rooted. I mean, we, we have been around for more than 156 years. Our founder, Ernest Solvay, used to say, from science will derive the progress of mankind. So our purpose or repurpose today is about bonding people, ideas and elements to reinvent to reinvent progress. So what we are saying is that humanity needs progress, but we need to reinvent it. We need to reimagine it and take into account the needs, the needs of the planet, of the millennials, of Generation Z, the needs of circularity. So what took us here will not bring us there. One of the recent big projects that I saw a lot about was the solar-powered airplane. And I know that's not yeah. the totality of what you're doing, but it feels like chemicals were the future 100 or 150 years ago. Now you're dreaming big with all this other stuff. What are some of the other projects? Well, listen, I mean, the solar impulse you are talking about has been, has been a big dream, which was brought to reality with Bertrand Picard and the Solar Foundation. So we were part of it. In the plane, we provided solving materials uh, to the solar airplane which made the world tour uh, without droplets of oil which is great so technology exists we can do it we have many more technologies for light weighing beating an airplane for clean mobility um, for electrical batteries and it's a great opportunity it's not a threat for us that's how we see it the more you buy hybrid cars 
and electrical cars better it is for us because actually we have many more disruptive technologies to serve that purpose. And did I read it correctly that you were also writing this week about child labor and other practices of ending exploitation? Yeah, any purpose, listen, comes with the values, mm-hmm. right? The uncompromising and unwavering values. So we just published our code of conduct. We relabel it and rename it the code of business integrity. And it's much crisper about uh, child labor, about anti-bribery, about harassment, right? So when you are at Solvay, when you join Solvay, you join it with all the values in mind. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that would be normal and logical that people would sign up to that. But I know there is some controversy in the EU where you have people like the European Commission president. She says zero tolerance for child labor. Yeah. And you have some trade officials who are saying, hang on, how can we enforce that? We'll be at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, let's wait. And I was a bit shocked to hear that sort of uh, well, listen, division. for Solvay, it's not about the authorities, right? I mean, we comply with the local regulations, but more than ever, our values, our code of business integrity is applied all over the world, even above and beyond the, the local laws. The laws. So, you know, that's how it happened. You know, uh, we, we, we hire people, we ask them to obey, to understand our code of conduct uh, and to follow our rules. One last question. I can't not ask it. You come to a place like Davos... It's very white, it's very male. As a woman of color who's leading a big company, how does it feel? Uh, like, do you feel integrated in this environment or is it a challenge to, to make ask, yourself hurt? I never ask myself that question. Indeed, uh, diversity and inclusion matters. It matters not because it's charity, it's because it's, it impacts the bottom line. Uh, and I'm here all my career, you know, I've been climbing the ladder and thanks to people who believed in me and... Uh, you know, indeed, I broke uh, the glass ceiling, but I'm still an anecdote, you're right. And that anecdote, I hope it will, it will become a role model for many more women. But diversity, uh, candidates, talents, uh, diversity for us is not only gender, it's nationalities, it's ethnies, it's background, it's orientation, it's diversity of thoughts, it's the big D. And when you have it in the room, you need to listen to it. That's a great thought to end on. Also the diversity of thought. I see in so many companies now, they hire... Ten colors of the same person That's instead it. of different thinkers Regardless with different women ideas. Or men, you can think, uh, you know, the same. So you need diversity of thoughts in the room. Well, Elam, you're more than an anecdote. You're a success. Thank you for joining <laughs> us on Davos Confidential. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's also a great ending. Coming up next is Akim Steiner. He's now the administrator of the United Nations Development Program, the really big chunk of work that the United Nations does. Before that, he was their environmental administrator. We caught up with him in a very noisy corridor at the Amaron Hotel. Joining us now is Mr. United Nations, Akim Steiner. Obviously, we have a big set of themes here that are all about sustainability, so it's kind of a merging of your two jobs is the way I think of this World Economic Forum. Is that how you think of it? Well, in many ways, yes, because what we have seen in recent years, I think, is um, two things coming together on top of, a, of an economic journey that is about 100 years old, very much driven by an economic paradigm of growth, of industrialization, of technology, and ultimately of also finance. And yet here we are in the year 2020, looking back on the last few years to a world that is increasingly not at ease with how these things are shaping and how they are turning out. And at the same time, this extraordinary challenge of climate change that is literally driving a fundamental transformation of our economies as we know them. 
And all of that, um, in a sense, crystallizes here in Davos in the kinds of discussions about what happens next. Yeah, it strikes me that the banks have a really critical role to play here. You see some of the big private banks now saying they're going to invest heavily in green infrastructure and other projects. You see European investment banks say they're getting out of coal. Do you accept that those commitments or do you think that there's another layer of action that needs to happen? Do they need to go further and say, hang on, we've got to actually end up carbon negative here. We, we, we don't just do the press release at Davos. We've got to do a much more serious set of actions. Look, finance is the blood in the arteries of our global economies, our national economies. So whatever happens in the financial systems of this world, how markets are beginning to factor in climate change, uh, the emergence of new technologies, but also decarbonization. These are all elements that will not only, first of all, signal to us whether we're actually making progress, but also signal to those who need to invest in the future economy that this is possible. So I think we are actually on the verge of the financial system, beginning to envisage an economy, a financial economy, that will price things very differently. And from that point of view, I think, yes, the announcements that we're hearing here in Davos are indicative of, let's say, an acceleration in change. It is still too slow, it is still too sticky, and the inertia in the mainstream of the financial system remains one of the things that I think is making it very difficult for governments, for instance, that want to invest in different kinds of infrastructure solutions, but also for startups, for new technologies to succeed. So you're really retooling UNDP so that it can take advantage of a bunch of digital innovations and, and spread them, including in finance. Tell us about some of your favorites. Absolutely. I think the, the digital economy with artificial intelligence, blockchain, many of the applications that we associate with the Internet of Things is going to transform the development landscape from a government point of view with the government platforms, but also in the marketplace and for producers. And just one small example that... Um, a small grant within UNDP was given to a team, our team in Ecuador, to experiment with blockchain technology to connect the producer of cocoa with the final consumer and buyer of a chocolate bar somewhere else in the world. And it took less than six months to create essentially a product that uses the QR code and carries a token where the consumer essentially can buy the chocolate, put their smartphone on it, read the QR code, connect to the actual producer family, and then take a decision because that bar does not use advertising mm -hmm. and therefore the money saved is available as a token either to invest in further afforestation mm -hmm. with the farmer that you bought the chocolate from or in using that against buying the next chocolate bar. And it's fascinating. It took less than six months to develop the product, the technology platform, and it is literally hitting the markets as we speak. And, you know, one bar of chocolate will not change the world. But imagine... 100 million bars of chocolate changes the economy of cocoa production and, in a sense, takes those out of the market who have no concern or interest in sustainable agriculture or, indeed, climate change or other issues. And we see the same happening in the digital finance domain. Some of the platforms that are available today are changing the face of access to finance for poor people. A woman in Kenya, for example, can in the morning today borrow money on her smartphone through uh, the provider, buy a product, sell it in the market, repay the loan in the evening, and have the revenue and the profit to keep. You know, just five, ten years ago, that woman did not have a bank account, would never have been able to borrow money, was able to perhaps get access to funding at prohibitive rates that money lenders... on her husband. Exactly. So for us in UNDP... 
the digital economy that is emerging is one of extraordinary opportunity, but also one that we need to work with governments to shape because not every digital technology is in itself necessarily a good or a bad. We have choices to make, and I think this is the fascinating frontier of development in the next 10 years. Maybe one final question. Uh, you obviously meet a lot of people in the course of this week, but for everyone you're not physically meeting with, what's your message to them? What do you want them to walk away from at the end of the week and say, okay, I'm going to do this to make the world a better place? I think, first of all, my greatest hope is that people are not disheartened by the seriousness of what they see around them. Let's be very frank, whether it is the social the economic or the environmental dimensions of what is happening in our world today, we are in serious trouble. And that's why you see so much um, discomfort, so much frustration, growing anger, and whether it is Fridays for Future or whether it is the protests in Santiago de Chile, in Beirut, in Paris. Um, the triggers may be different, but you know we live in a time where people are feeling more insecure, more threatened, and also more frustrated. And I think when you then look to a place such as Davos, which is, as it is often portrayed, a sort of meeting of an elite from around the world, um, your first reaction can be to be hostile to that. But at the end of the day, it is also a meeting place. Um, and it is not the only one, but it is certainly one of the best curated in the world. And therefore, sometimes solutions may emerge from conversations here that bring people out of their comfort zone or maybe the reality of everyday you know, politics or running a company, and to think about what really matters to us as human beings, but also to society as a whole. Remember that in the face of all the challenges we face, and we have many tipping points staring us in the face right now, we are not without choice. We have agency, but we need to learn from those who have affected history. I often say, you know, a Mahatma Gandhi, a Nelson Mandela, a Wangari Matai, or indeed a Greta, did not start doing something about what happens next by designing some grand architecture. architecture. They started by taking a decision to get involved, then connecting with others. And I think we are living through a very interesting time. Movements are emerging at the moment that will shape what happens next very significantly and probably more than any Davos annual meeting ever will. Mr. Steiner, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We caught up with Arvind Krishna, IBM's Senior Vice President for Cloud and Cognitive Software, in a temporarily renovated dental office on the second floor, looking above the promenade in Davos with a wonderful mountain view. So it was a great way to start our morning. Arvind Krishna from IBM, one of their senior executives here this week in Davos. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Ryan. Now, you're an expert in a lot of important things, one of them being quantum computing. Um, I was wondering... Can you give us the sort of brief idiot's guide? What is quantum <laughs> computing for people who aren't experts in the topic? Sure. I'd love to do that. So when you think about uh, quantum computing, you're trying to take advantage of what many people refer to as the quantum effects that happen down at the subatomic level, and strange things happen there. What we think of as the classical laws of physics actually kind of break down at that level, and you get all kinds of strange interactions between these things we think of as electrons mm -hmm. or even states of electrons and other subatomic particles. But why do we care? It allows us to do computing of a kind that classical computers cannot do. Classical computers operate in the world of bits. We think of them as these zeros and ones, and it kind of does, 
how call it high school arithmetic, but really, really fast mm-hmm. and at magnitudes that are unimaginable. When you get into these quantum computers, they can solve problems that classical computers never will. And you know it, as a scientist, when I say never will, that's a pretty strong statement. Mm-hmm. So getting into problems of the ilk that classical computers just realm, put in the realm of the impossible mm-hmm. is what we're super excited about uh, quantum computers getting to do. And does that tie in then to artificial intelligence? Is it one of the, the key enablers of your work in AI? I think it is one, but I would not put it as even the primary or the only uh, use cases for quantum computing. The quantum computing I get super excited about, I think the first half a dozen years will be in the realm of the physical world. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to solve problems in materials, and I'll come back to that. But given that this is Davos, and we care deeply about sustainability... It's everywhere this year. You can't escape it. Well, we all as humans do want to live a long time, so it's kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about the applications of quantum computers to solving problems in agriculture. Mm-hmm. For example, fertilizer. Yeah. Or in helping understand more about uh, climate then you get really, really excited because applying those problems and the one that we are working on already with clients is on improving battery technologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we really want to get rid of, it's not a lot, but it's about a fourth of all the carbon footprint, it comes from transportation. And if we can get transportation to be much more electric, you need to solve the battery problem because the battery is probably the, the preeminent uh, aspect in terms of weight and in terms of uh, pushing these forward. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you could make your batteries a thousand times better, either your range is now in the thousands of miles, or perhaps the extra weight is only in the tens of kilograms, mm-hmm. not up to the hundreds and thousands of kilograms for a normal vehicle. And that's for cars on the road as well as farming equipment? That's for everything. That could mm-hmm. be cars, that could be farming equipment. I think trucks, if you think about them, that's one of the reasons why people kind of glimpse kind of squint and say, I'm not sure of an EV truck or even light aircraft. And is there any message that you're taking to the people that you meet in Davos beyond the the business case for all of that work? So what is my message to people? Put aside the business case. If you can think of all these problems you just couldn't solve, and I'll come to a great example on classical computers, get used to working on quantum computers because it is different. It's not writing ones and zeros and assembler code. It's closer to how you score music is how you manage to program these things. Mm -hmm. That's a different brain and it's a different kind of person. So get that experience because then as they get big enough, you'll be ready. Does that mean we've all been getting the wrong message about coding in schools? There's a Davos Codes program that we saw operating Sunday and Monday. And are they being trained in the old way or are they getting this? I think that that is insufficient. So I say... For a century, we have all been trained in the three R's, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. I think that, I can't think of an R, but coding, I think, is as important a skill as the other three. Mm-hmm. Not that everybody becomes a coder. The same way as not everybody does math for a living, but being numerically literate is kind of important to mm-hmm. understand when you get a bill someplace. Yeah. To give you two simple examples, I mean, we're sitting here both with cups of coffee. Caffeine gets us going. To solve the caffeine molecule on a classical computer is impossible. It would take a computer that is about the size of this planet. So you're saying we have no idea what's in our coffee, basically. Correct. No idea why it works, 
We have no idea why it I'll works. I'll be lucky to get out of here alive, <laughs> listeners. I hope I see you on the other side. A quantum computer to do that could be the size of this room. So when you think about both the practicality and the mm-hmm. energy consumption, mm-hmm. it really, it, it's, it's a different scale completely. I know that that's a hard analogy to get, but that gives you some sense of, of why problems go for the infeasible to the feasible. It's the perfect note to end on because there are a lot of skeptics about Davos. People write it off as just the elite, but you've just given a very good example of why there are so many smart people up here working on all of these challenges and, and you give an insight into the, the good side of why this conference happened. So, Alvin, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Throughout this week, you've been listening to Davos Confidential. Tune in tomorrow for our regular EU Confidential coming specially to you from Davos. Until then, I'm Reem Mumtaz. Thank you for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.